Hello and welcome to episode 20 of the Melbourne AWS User Group Podcast. I am your host, Arjen Schwartz, and as always, I'm joined by my good friends, Jean-Manuel Becker. Hello, good morning or good afternoon for the listeners. And Guy Morton. Hey everyone, how are you going? Cool. So today's a special episode as we'll be discussing all the goodies from reInvent as well as everything that came before in November, which is also often called the pre-invent period, where at the last couple of weeks before reInvent, AWS decides these things don't quite make the cut for announcements at the big show. So let's already get them out of the door. Personally, I always find that a whole bunch of those announcements are better than the ones at reInvent, but I don't make these calls. So there's a lot today. We will most likely not discuss everything. We will probably not discuss most things as we would be here for a day or more. Then let's dive into it. As usual, we'll still start with finally in Sydney. We've got two announcements. The one that everybody has been waiting for, which is Snowcone SSD. This is Snowcone, which we all know and love its name of. Yes. But then the SSD version of it. Well, it's, which makes sense, right? It's much better to have an SSD than a, a normal hard drive into this kind of portable device for durability. So um, the normal hard drive version is 8 terabyte and the SSD version is 14 terabyte, which is awesome. Yeah. Uh, we still with two CPU and four gig memory um, and still very light and uh, can be plugged into uh, a drone. So. Fun stuff, we can have them in Sydney now. Yeah, the idea of putting one on a drone really appeals to you, doesn't it, Sam? <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> I, saw, I saw the demo and it looks, it looks cool. What do they actually weigh? 4.5 pounds, so it's, um, yeah. 4.5 pounds, two kilos. Two, two kilos in the proper, in the proper metric, yeah. metric system. <laughs> the Americans and they're four and a half pounds, goodness me. Get with it, people. Metric system for the win. Well, I heard that the UK are going back to, uh, <laughs> they're abandoning the metrics and they're going back to the pound as well. And now they're out of Europe. I've, I've, I've heard that they're, they're going to start living in caves as well and start, <laughs> start mining coal and uh, burning burning whale blubber to uh, keep lo- the lights on. So, you know. <laughs> Let's move on. Um, there's, a, there's the other announcement for Sydney. We are lucky to have the M6i instances. So they come in multiple flavors from uh, two vCPU to 128 vCPUs from a cost in Sydney from 12 cents an hour to uh, $7.68 an hour for the, the big one and the metal version. Very big instance. Um, yeah, cool to have. They're SAP certified, ideal for workloads such as uh, web application servers, backends, Exchange, SharePoint, SAP Business Suite, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. A lot of bit high-end businessy, businessy things. So they use the Ice Lake Intel Xeon processor, like the I mentioned, the M66i, this means Intel now, 3.5 gigahertz and uh, 15% better price performance than the M5. So you can upgrade uh, for a, a, a better performance. And then uh, you can have memory encryption as well with TME, which is uh, the Intel encryption for memory. Uh, can be useful for PCI compliance stuff. Yep. And that's it for Sydney. There is plenty of announcement at reInvent who include Sydney, and we have been lucky, I think, in, in a lot of announcements, and I will mention them on the way. Well, let's dive into it with one of the key items 
as usual of reInvent and that was serverless. So we've got a whole bunch of services that are now serverless. Or called as such. <laughs> did, did you put air quotes around serverless just then? <laughs> yes. Pretty much. Um, there are some limitations to how serverless all of these are. Mm. But let's first just name them and go from there. These are EMR serverless, which is in preview. Redshift serverless, which is also in preview. MSK serverless, which is in preview. SageMaker serverless inference, which is in preview. And under the same category, but it isn't called serverless, was Kinesis data streams on demand. So these were all announced in keynotes under the moniker of this is now serverless, which in most of these cases just means that you don't have to manage the instances anymore. Or the capacity as well, yeah. Yeah. So you're still in a lot of cases paying for a minimum amount of, of infrastructure to be running all the time, but your your scaling is is managed for you. That's that's essentially the kind of common thread here, right? Yeah, it's right to forget. The, the scalability and the high availability of the product. Um, I'll take the example of EMR, which is still in preview. Um, yeah, you can have different Spark jobs running in your EMR, needed uh, a, um, a number of executors for the first five minutes and then scaling up for the last 20 minutes. So um, EMR serverless will scale automatically, but you still need to have this EMR running. One big thing I found with that product is uh, the re resilience and uh, kind of multi-AZ uh, phase because EMS, EMR serverless, so is a regional service where everybody maybe know or don't know, but EMR usually is a single AZ service. So if your AZ goes down, which that did happen recently, sorry, twice <laughs> um, in different regions in the US, then you might have to rebuild your EMR cluster with the serverless edition, uh, then you will have some type of hard availability and your job will be reallocated to another AZ, which is quite interesting for that product. Yeah, and that's probably worth the price of admission alone in some, in some use cases. I'm guessing. Yeah, exactly. So you could run EMR in the past on EKS as well, on Kubernetes, and then try to make it, you know, highly available this way. But uh, now with the serverless edition, that's going to be very interesting where you can scale for multiple jobs and come back and you just pay for the number of jobs you're running or the executor you're running. And then now a kind of a, a serverless, uh, multi-AZ uh, regional version of EMR. It's interesting. Hmm. For other products like Kinesis, a bit different. In the past, Kinesis, you had to pre-design your shards and plan in advance and you know manage your shards, manage your data, which one are going to which shard and stuff like that. Now it's kind of a, almost like a Kinesis auto-scaling. Uh, which is on demand, uh, so AWS can do that for you. You don't have to plan it in advance. However, you still need to have that pre-provisioning of, I think, three to four shards, I heard, depending on the regions, to have your Kinesis running. And then AWS take care of the rest, which is still good. But um, yeah, recently we did some calculation for a customer and having just one shard, you know, a small ETL streaming, that was better and cheaper to have just one shard to do a couple of things on, on streaming than trying to use the, the serverless edition. Yeah. Yeah. So you're paying per stream per hour. You're paying for the data ingested. You're paying, paying for retrievals. So you, yeah. So by, by the time you add all that, that up. And in fact, ironically, the um, pricing, the pricing page shows examples of on demand mode and provision mode. And the provision mode is example is much cheaper by a factor of like 10. <laughs> so it's interesting that they're 
that that um, that, that their examples are kind of like that. You'd think that they'd be the other way around. Um, the on-demand mode would show would show some some cheaper example, but uh, it doesn't. Yeah, I also noticed that with most of these services, the pricing model is very different between the serverless and um, standard versions. Pre pre provisioned, yeah. Yeah. Well, pre-provisioned ones, usually you pay for the server and some data cost or things like that. While for the serverless versions, you suddenly have three, four extra. Price, pricing dimensions, yeah. Yeah, the, the storage or the, the number of requests per second or the retrieval, like we've seen. Yeah, yeah, quite. Yeah, yeah. I think it's interesting because I think... Um, Look, I mean, to give AWS credit, you know, w- w- when they release a new product, they do tend to, I guess, review the pricing. So it may well be that this is sort of release pricing and they will adjust that once they get more data because I guess they'll be looking to find out how people actually use this and what it actually looks like once they've got a bunch of use cases actually live. And, you know, they do have a good a good uh, um, history, I guess, of, of looking at pricing of their products and adjusting them when they're... Um, sort of a bit, you know, when they discover, I guess, that it's so hideously expensive that no one wants to pay for it, like, um, yeah, things like Macy, which have, you know, dropped in price a lot over the over the years. Yeah, correct, yeah. There's lot, lots of examples, I guess, where something comes out with a price that people kind of balk at. So, yeah, expect these to, 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 to find their level, I guess, over time. So we have as well Redshift serverless. Um, I just mentioned it's still in preview uh, in the US, uh, East California, West, and Frankfurt, and Ireland, and Tokyo. Um, yeah, that's probably to compete with the other cloud who do very big queries uh, on demand with a serverless model. You know, it's okay to name the other cloud. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the multicolor one, um, uh, and um, yeah, you you only pay for the compute you use and the duration of your workload per seconds, and um, you have that full elasticity as well, and and uh, serverless kind of uh, option uh, for your analytics now with Redshift includes Redshift, yeah. Uh, um, so th- this one actually looked to me like it does kind of scale right back. Yeah, I had a feeling as well. Yeah, so it looks like one where you probably would be paying nothing overnight, for instance, if you were just using it during the day. Aside from the storage. Yeah, yeah. sure. Because that is built separately, just like they started doing with the RA3 instance types, where you had the separate compute and storage. Yeah, be- before Redshift, it was all local storage, right? So that was your instance, and that's it. Uh, and now with EBS uh, and, and all the different options you have with storage with S3 and stuff like that, so it, it's built differently, yeah. Cool. All right, and then the last one is MSK serverless uh, in public preview as well. Uh, so for people who love Kafka, then they can use the serverless edition. Yeah. Quite a big competitor with another Confluence service, but um, can use private link, can use IAM as well. So um, yeah, to to monitor that product, uh, that could be interesting. A lot of more and more people are using Kafka. Yeah, and this is one where you do have a fixed a fixed minimum spend, so the serverless model isn't quite as as clean. Yeah, you've got a fixed uh, per hour cluster charge, so yeah, you won't be getting it for free if you're not using it. Yep, yep. And it's in preview only in US East uh, in Hawaii. At the moment, and I think I think that's probably true of all of these. They're all are, are any of these in Sydney? I don't think any of these serverless previews are in Sydney yet. Yes, the SageMaker the SageMaker serverless inference. Right. Okay. 
That one is actually in Sydney. Oh, so it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we tend to forget about that one because it was mentioned in a different keynote. Yeah, yeah, right. So what can you do with that SageMaker serverless inference? You pay only for the duration of running the inference code. Okay. Yeah, it seems like proper serverless, but I haven't looked too deeply into this one because, as usual, this is all above my pay grade. <laughs> Well, AI and ML has been quite a lot of push in the last three years of our ML uh, reinvent, and uh, yeah, there's many services this uh, year as well uh, released in, the, in that space. And we'll come back to some of the other interesting ones there. Yeah, I don't actually think there's um, pricing example pricing on their um, on the SageMaker site either. On the preview, no, the, the pricing is, is never never clear. Yeah, in the preview model. Yeah, what else do we have in the serverless section? Yeah, so there's some stuff around the ser serverless applications, the SAM, the CI/CD uh, options for for building pipelines, bundling them with your um your SAM application. So templates for default pipeline templates for uh, various CI/CD systems like Jenkins and GitLab and GitHub Actions and Bitbucket pipelines and code build code pipeline, etc. Yeah, we discussed that one before. It's now just uh, GA. Yeah, that's right. Yep. I think more interesting ones are under the Lambda part. I think one that all three of us are happy about is the partial batch, uh, batch response for SQS. Mm. So where before, when you used SQS as an event source, it would send batches of messages and it would basically do a fail or pass the whole batch and now you can get partial response and the rest can go to the backup queue or however you've got it set up yeah 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 so that's that's a lot more efficient than than failing a whole batch if you've had a batch of 100 messages and one failed and you'd fail the whole batch and have to redo it again yeah it's a very good thing. And the other one that I'm personally happy about is the cross-account container image pooling for Lambda um, that run containers. I've mentioned my gripes with that in previous podcasts. Basically, you couldn't have a central place for your Lambda functions when they're running in Docker containers across different accounts. And now you can. That means you can actually deploy the exact same thing that you have in your dev environment in your testing and in your production environment or with a with a tag i guess on your ecr centralized it's, it's the idea yeah yeah nice so that's a good thing the other big stuff i would say falls under amplify mm. as usual amplify gets a lot of traction yeah well it, it got a lot of pre-invent love as well i think there was um i'm just looking through my notes here there was a the integration with uh, being able to create custom resources with CDK, uh, override generated resources as well, um, export the back end to CDK. So there's a lot of um, nice stuff around, um, I guess, giving you a bit more control or a bit more flexibility as to how you choose to build your back end infrastructure with Amplify now. And CDK is being sort of plugged in as an option, an option there. And there's a few features and announcements that were related to that. What about the Amplify Studio? Did you have a look? Um, do, do you like it? So um, it's it's really, I mean, I think it maybe it wasn't called Amplify Studio before, but there's been the Amplify console that's been there for a while. So I think it's just a beefing up of that. They've added some nice features to it. So now you can um, import Figma um, designs and and convert them into UI components um, through Amplify. And that's, that's a pretty sweet feature, I think. But yeah, those have really just expanded um, expanded it and um, I mean, a lot of it's stuff that if you've been using Amplify, you would have, you would have seen it before. 
But um, yeah, I mean, it's all good stuff, I think, in terms of just making that environment a lot more useful for developers, you know? And developer friendly, yeah, yeah. Yeah, developer friendliness, yeah. But the Figma thing's a big, it's a big deal. Yeah, a lot of people love Figma, right? To to be able to do um, user experience, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 and if you have to, uh, currently, you know, most projects you end up sort of having to break that down and, and reconstruct things. So anything that can, can facilitate a process for, for sort of streamlining that as part of the workflow, I think is going to be a, a welcome feature. Mm-hmm. And that's available in Sydney Studio as well. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, shall we move to containers? Yep. Let's do that. Uh, we have Fargate. I'm excited about this one. Uh, Fargate uh, for ECS powered by Graviton 2 processors. So you have 40% improved per- price performance and 20% lower cost than running on Intel. So good improvement. ECS running Fargate on Graviton now. That's cool. Yep. And that, that means you're lowering your, your greenhouse footprint too, aren't you? Yeah. Well, we will talk about the next uh, sustainability uh, pillars now who came and um, how AWS can encourage people to migrate to cloud to save carbon footprint. So that's pretty cool. Yep. yep. Obviously, I like Fargate. I like Revlon too. This is a great announcement. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. What's not to like then? Graviton 3 soon, maybe, on Fargate. That would be uh, even better. Yeah, it was interesting. I, I, I saw an, I saw one of the announcements mention the Graviton 3 uh, in the new instance type, which we'll probably get to later. But I thought, Graviton 3? What? 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 Had, had, when did that come out? And I missed it. But um, I think it's only just sort of poking its head over the over the parapet. Yeah, it's all still bit preview. Oh, that's great that AWS purchased, uh, you know, a CPU company and now kind of innovate as fast as other CPU companies. So it's nice to see Graviton 2 just came last year, right? So No, Graviton 2 came, came two years ago. Well, okay. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen the last two years anyway. <laughs> <laughs> We've all been asleep. <laughs> 2020, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, what? Yeah. Um, what else do we have on ECS? Many announcements. Optimize AMI is open source now. Uh, new distro for telemetries. Um, yeah, just improvement on ECS. EKS, the one who I think find interesting is the Fluent fr- Bit support and as well the EKS connector, which is uh, a kind of an extension of the console of EKS inside the AWS console to be able to connect multiple Kubernetes clusters to the same console and even on-prem Kubernetes or other cloud Kubernetes. I don't know if it is a response to Entos or other type of competitors, but that gives you that one pan of glass, the the world I hate. A spog, you mean? <laughs> <laughs> About your Kubernetes clusters in one, one view and, and uh, if they are healthy or not. So, yeah. Yeah. What about Carpenter? Yeah, Carpenter. That's I, I like the name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a it's a it's a it's a rare good name. Yeah, <laughs> and it's a version open five is generally available now. Yeah, which is just wrong. <laughs> Sorry to say it. <laughs> yeah, you can't have a GA release of a zero point five, can you? Yeah, yeah, it's weird. Yeah. Uh, but it's the autoscaler for Kubernetes, so it's a new version to autoscale your EC2 instances. Yeah, it's a horizontal scaler. Yeah, horizontal scaler for EC2. Uh, I don't know if it works with um, uh, managed node, but or if you need to have your your own EC2 node. I actually don't know either. But yeah, um, as I've told other people, it's nice that it's GA, but I wouldn't 
trust my production workload on a 0.5 version <laughs> until somebody else has tested it well for me. I wouldn't trust my production workload on Kubernetes. That's it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Every three months you need to upgrade and all the plugins don't work. So that's great production environment, is it? Um, okay, move on. Um, we have ECR. Yeah, that is the, uh, another big one. The ECR pull through case repositories. Oh, actually, it sounds a lot bigger than it is. First, the good part. This basically allows you to pull in image repositories that are hosted elsewhere into your ECR cluster so that you can do local calls to pull it in. Right. So it's a little bit like um, Code Artifact. Yeah, it's like Artifactory. Artifactory would do the caching of, of public uh, um, public repo, yeah. for Yeah, but it doesn't have to be a public one. can be private. The big use for this would, of course, be for pulling in items from Docker Hub, which had famously put in its limits several months ago. Unfortunately, that is not supported. <laughs> yeah, because I was wondering like, what AWS had to buy a license from Docker to be able to pull more and then give it to you through a proxy. What, what, what did they do? Uh, yeah, so it's not supported. Okay, no, sorry. It's not supported. The only, the only, actually, the only one that is supported according to the announcement was um, Key.io or Quay.io, depending on how you want to pronounce it. Right, okay. So after the announcement, I saw tweets that news regarding Docker Hub was coming very, very soon. They mentioned something about this afternoon, but obviously we're now a couple of weeks later and I haven't heard anything about that. So I guess we'll find out what is going to happen with that. And in the meantime, it is still fairly limited in how useful it is. Okay, yeah. Shall we move on to one of the fairly big sections? Yep. EC2 and VPC. Uh, many new instances this month. What do we have? R6i. So that's, uh, we talked about M6 before and, and C6. So now we have R6 with more memory. Yeah. So this is actually something I, um, the way I saw this, because it is not just the R6i, but also the, I think, M6A, so that's the AMD versions. Yep. They all got announced. They didn't get mentioned in keynotes. They all got either at pre-invent or just as a regular announcement during reInvent. So to me, this felt a bit like, look at how our trusted providers, Intel and AMD, now have instance types that are at the same level as our Graviton 2 instances. <laughs> Here's Graviton 3. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, could be. Um, Graviton is limited to 64 CPU, right? Um, where this one can go to 128, I think. So, um, yeah, not sure. So the, you can go much higher on the Intel space, uh, and including the bare metal version. We can have 128 CPU and one terabyte of memory. So like it's at least percent more than the R5 and um, higher memory bandwidth as well. So if you have a big database or a big, you know, stuff you need to run in memory, then the R6 uh, instance I are, are probably the instance of choice for you. And then the, uh, the, in the same range, we have the M6i and C6i as bare metal, uh, who came as well. If you want to run your own hypervisors and other things like that with memory encryption, we mentioned and, uh, 15% more powerful than the M5 and C5 instance. Um, talking about another processor that AWS uh, uh, created, the Trenium-based uh, EC2 instance, so TRN1 instance, 
uh, well, um, it's a second machine learning chips that AWS built and um, is dedicated to run uh, natural language processing, uh, object detection, image recognition, recommendation engine, and have 800 gigabit of EFA networking throughput. So very impressive. Uh, much faster than the GPU machine for ML20 on EC2. So really cool as well. And you might think that TRN1 is the most tongue-breaking name of instances that were announced. You would be wrong, because we've also got the LM4GN and LS4GEN instances. Oh, no. Yes. In Graviton <laughs> 2. Yes. So these are storage-optimized instances uh, with up to 30 terabytes of local storage. Very impressive. I think they should swap the instance type names for just um, like a QR code. <laughs> Do you remember the professional exam like a couple of years ago? You was like you had to learn the M, the C, and the stuff. Now you can't. You can't learn all. Yeah. What, what was it, um, Miss Doctor Doctor? Was what was it that was about Donald Duck or? Yeah, it was something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Mister Mc. GIF picks or something. Something GIF picks. Yeah. Dr. McGIF picks. There you go. Very impressive number of instances. Really, uh, you can pick what you need. And I don't know if there's too much choices now. I'm not sure. Yeah. The other ones were G5 and G5G instances. So those are GPU optimized ones. Just the direct successor of the G4, except the G5G version is the Graviton version of that. Related, also uh, Amazon got their hands on M1 Mac minis. So just to clarify, these are not M1 Pro or M1 Max type instances. Those are unfortunately not available yet in Mac mini size. Uh, so this is just the regular M1 that is still ridiculously fast compared to the Intel ones and they're now available. Yep, and they're also supporting Monterey and hot attach and detach of EBS volumes. So. The Mac, Mac instance has got a little bit of love in a few places. Yeah, in the past, you had to reboot the instance to attach an EBS volume. Now you can do it on the fly. I'll remind everyone, you still need to buy that instance for 24 hours. For a day, that's right. <laughs> yes, uh, and it's a, it's a bare metal style. Uh, you can find it on your uh, console, but it's bare metal instance you need to buy for a day. That's Apple uh, licensing. That's not AWS. That is not AWS that has a control over that. That's pure Apple. The other thing, probably big news there, is Amazon Linux 2022. <laughs> yep. So we went from Amazon Linux without suffix to Amazon Linux 2 and now to 2022. Which I just think is a terrible idea. But anyway, never mind. What was What's wrong with Linux 3? Three is a nice number. Yep. Instead, we get 2022 pre-announced in 2021. That's right. It's still in preview, so I'm guessing that they're expecting the GA to come within the next year. Well, it has to now, doesn't it? They can't not because they'd look stupid. Um, but They will secretly rename yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's okay. I don't mind if they do it in, in, like out in the open. Um, it would be good. Uh, I mean, Windows 2022, you know, is there some uh, drive there to to have an OS with 2022 in the name just <laughs> from a competitive point of view? Like, I, I, don't, I, I don't understand it. Guy, it, it's a bit like, do you remember the 90s that you had games like SimCity 2000? Yeah, uh, yeah I know, absolutely. Everything had, to be, every had to, everything had to be called 2000. <laughs> 2000, yeah, yeah, I know. 
I know, yeah. So that's just the same thing here. Yeah. I, th- I suppose, actually, that makes sense because every 20 years, things go back to the same as they were 20 years ago, right? It's a generational change. So 20 years later, everyone thinks, you know, it'd be really cool if we use the year. It's like Windows 2000 was that, was that, right? So now they're going Windows 2020, 2022. Well, they always used that for the uh, years for the server versions. True. Yeah. Uh, to talk about it, uh, they will have a two years major release cycled and they will be maintained for five years uh, with support uh, for each major release. So uh, that gives some stability for people to build stuff on AWS. Do you know which which, which version of um, Red Hat or is it equivalent to? Is it version 8 or version 9? Because Linux 2 was Red Hat 7, right? Equivalent RPM uh, stuff. I think it's probably eight because nine is still in preview. But now since Red Hat and CentOS are different, I don't know, it's making it all complicated. Yeah, I think it wasn't based on Red Hat anymore, if I remember. It's, they're talking about Federal Project, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. With SC Linux enabled by default. That's going to be interesting. I suspect it's probably it's probably drifted quite a bit. Um, and the, the common thing is just using the package, same package manager, I guess. So there's probably some compatibility that's required to 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 st- keep that functional, but yeah, suspect they're doing their own thing wherever they feel like it would be my guess. Wherever they feel like it works best for Amazon. Shall we move to networking? Yes, I think that has actually one of the biggest announcements. The price reduction you mentioned. The price reduction. Yes, that seems to be a pretty direct response to the Cloudflare thing we've discussed previously. So now you can have each month um, the first terabyte of data transfer out of CloudFront and the first 10 million HTTPS requests uh, for free and the first 2 million CloudFront function invocation for free as well, which is interesting. And then the free data transfer out of CloudFront is yeah no longer limited to the first 12 months. So now it's, it's a permanent uh, free tier, which is interesting. And then how do I geek uh, across regions, that's going to help me. It's not necessarily cross region; it's just uh, data out of yeah, all region. regions. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's also also going to the internet. Yeah. So your response from your load balancers, if you don't have CloudFront or anything in front of it, except China and GovCloud. Not that we probably care. No, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that GovCloud has plenty of money. The people using it. <laughs> that's right. And China, yeah. well, you can't get out of the big firewall. Uh, it's like twenty packets per second. So, yeah. Um, so that that's pretty pretty good. I think a price reduction for everybody who use AWS that's going to be a big impact. And that's from the December first, twenty twenty one. So it's now. So you're enjoying it now. Yeah. Cool. So everybody can enjoy the lower bills and give themselves a nice Christmas present instead. Um, another announcement, uh, IPv6 only subnet on EC2 instances. So you can now, in the VPC in the past, you had to have IPv4 and IPv6 subnet and every instance had the two type of IP attached to it. So that was still creating the limitation of scaling. Now your VPC still need to be dual stack. So four and six, however, you can create subnet now with just IPv6 and, and the routing accordingly and the security group accordingly and the internet getaway accordingly, and then the egress only internet getaway accordingly. But um, you can scale to 18 quintillion IPs in your VPC. So that's interesting. Yeah, that's a lot of uh, 
instances. Yeah, and, and, and now Kubernetes supporting IPv6 as well, I believe, in the latest release, uh, then that would be able to, you know, maybe you create your IPv4 VPC, couple of subnet IPv6, your cubes in there, all on IPv6. Yeah, can scale. Yeah, just clarify, this is only for EC2 instances at the moment, from my understanding. And network load balancer and application load balancer as well. Yeah, yeah. the load balancers as well, but for example, not if you have an RDS running or anything else that is not standard EC2 instances. Yeah, yeah. And it needs to be the natural system as well. You can't use the old version of, of EC2. It needs to be the natural, so all the new uh, instance type, yeah. Yeah, I think most of them are now natural, if anything, the modern versions. But a, T, a, T2, a T2 wouldn't work. You need a T3, I believe. Yeah. They still haven't changed it, right? Where T2 is still the only one for the free tier. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. That, that's why I mentioned T2 because it's the one we use most of the time <laughs> because it's in the free tier. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, mentioned as well load balancer and network load balancer now can be uh, dual stack and then having IPv6 support for the target group. So that's that match what you can have in the VPC. So, yeah. Uh, another announcement, ad- announcement to uh, look at the transit getaway intra region peering. Now, uh, so in the past, you could do um, between region peering between transit getaway, uh, but you couldn't have two transit getaway in the same region connected together. Now you can. Good improvements, mainly to integrate, you know, third party or partner manager network that you can have a, a, a transit getaway connected to your transit getaway and, and contain and maintain the route and, and the route domains to do that. So that's a good improvement. Yeah, but also if you have multiple transit gateways in your own environment, like a production and non-production one, for example, and your CICD system needs to talk to both. That way it can be a bit easier and you don't need everything together. You can do double attachment, uh, Arjun. Uh, it's what we were doing with the customer with the shared services. It will be attached to the two transit gateways. So we have a dev transit gateway and a pro transit gateway with the shared services attached to both and then different routing. Uh, for different environments. Yeah, but then you had to put then then you had to move the routing in the VPC. You had to I've done it in the past as well because you can only point the zero point zero at one of them, and then you had to have separate side blocks in your VPC pointing to the yeah, one for for prod and on prod. Yes, and then you you had to put a how is it called it um, a black hole route to stop the routing between dev and port. So yeah, yeah, it was fun. But now you can do it with all managed through the transit gateway automatically. And uh, the recommend to have a transit gateway with direct connect, you can have only three transit gateway per direct connect interface. So yeah, all fun, fun networking. Um, another product, I don't know if you heard, we have a VPC IPAM now on AWS. Oh, yes, I saw that, yeah. Um, help you bookkeeping IP addresses across all your accounts, and it's available in Sydney. Look at that. We are lucky. And the nice thing with it as well, so you set it up centrally and in your organization, and you can ask it to scan all of your accounts and set up what's already there. Oh, that's good. So you don't have to manually then go back and fill everything in. It does that for you. And after that, you can assign IP ranges to accounts that can then be used by the people in those accounts to build their own things. And what's the 
cost on that? Did you, do you know? I'm just having a quick squeeze at it, actually. IPAM. Hourly price per active IP address managed by IPAM. So that could that could, that could uh, add up a little bit. It's 0. 0.00027 cents per active IP address managed by IPAM. So if you've got uh, a slash 16, uh, so if you had 5,000 active IPs, you'd be looking at 972 bucks per month. So it could, it could add up. I mean, well, 5,000 active IPs is a fairly big environment i guess um so yeah just need to do the maths on it but i guess if you can if you as you say and if you can use it to to do an audit i guess of your existing landscape you can then have a pretty good idea of what it's going to cost you um from that because it's not based on the cider range that you've allocated to a vpc it's the actually actually actually, actually things that have got attached things so uh, I, I know customer who used to manage your know, spreadsheet have a lambda function running every 15 minutes to do easy to describe and extract the nid and all sort of manipulation to find out the ip they have because they had to have that control environment so that i think that's going to help quite a lot and maybe it's worth the investment yep yeah compared to that kind of work this is cheap yeah absolutely for sure and as i say if you had five thousand actual Active IPs in a in a, in a landscape, the nine hundred seventy-two bucks a month would be small, small beer compared to what you're spending on compute, presumably. Yeah. Another product I'm eager to test, but I didn't have the opportunity yet, is the network access analyzer to help easily identify unintended network access. Um, so across all your network, across your VPC, you can ask that product or that service some type of questions that you know which application do 443 to the internet or um is my production vpc can talk to my development vpc we were talking about that before um and the network analyzer will give you an answer and and the policies and uh, uh, uh and the type of network traffic who is allowed and not allowed so uh, interesting for auditing and then interesting to review your network topology as well so presumably that's that's flow logs and dns logs and things and with some ml running over the top i think yeah they probably analyze the route analyzing uh your knuckles i mean there's a lot of stuff to analyze to understand if there is connectivity or not right uh, between environment yeah security groups and things yeah yeah but that, that would be um yeah i'm eager to test that at scale to see what what it looked like and it's available in sydney i mean there's probably a bit of a theme to the announcements recently around um some of these governance kind of tools like yeah like audit manager and and backup audit manager and all this new audit stuff to you know gain better APRA compliance or better uh, uh compliance with um HIPAA and all the type of uh, regulatory stuff yeah what about cloud wan yes th- that's that's kind of uh encroaching into cisco kind of uh, world right sd1 and and uh, creating that network policy across all your networks so it's, it's something when compared not only AWS, but as well your on-prem network and how they're connected together and um, look at your BGP routes and, and how do you exchange routes as well. And that's available in Sydney as well. Mm. And I think um, I didn't see the announcement, but I heard about a site link as well. I don't know if you noticed site link. Yeah. Um, and, and how it works with Direct Connect now. That's, that's again encroaching into your on-prem connectivity where you can have a side A with Direct Connect and a side B with Direct Connect. Uh, well, in the past, you could connect them both to the Direct Connect gateways and then to your VPCs, but you couldn't connect side A to side B. 
Now, Recycling is just one click when you set up your VIF on your DiConnect, then you can enable A to B without going through AWS. I mean, you still go through your DiConnect, obviously, to create that link, but... Um, without going through the VPCs. Yeah, you don't go through the VPC, you stay at the DiConnect getaway level, I guess, and, and then uh, just com- come back down and connect multi-region, multi-environment, multi-data centers together by using the AWS backbone instead of building your own stuff. So in the past, we had kind of the triangle design, site A to B and to AWS. Now you can have just like a V design and then use AWS backbone to connect your two sites. Interesting. Yeah, cool. Some other things, not a lot of this is super exciting. It includes one of the worst names. So we now have a recycle bin for EBS snapshots. Is that the worst name? According to the poll in that I started in the Melbourne user group Slack. <laughs> Highly scientific. It was not <laughs> the worst. The worst one was CloudWatch Rum. Rum. Ah, oh, it's funny. <laughs> But Rum's just a standard, a standard name. It's a so, standard name. So yeah, yeah. Um, there was things with worse names. I thought. Oh, ev- evidently, for a start, that's 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 not that's not great. And the other thing too, I've, I've got a beef with is the fact that they've changed S3 Glacier. Now they've got S3 Glacier Instant Retrieval and S3 Glacier, um, you know, S3 Glacier. Um, so they've sort of branched it off. Even more confusing. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. What do you use? Which one? And well, see, I reckon I've, I've got a suggestion for AWS on this one. I think they should rename S3 Glacier Instant Retrieval. They should call it Blizzard or oh, Melted. So you got we got Glacier, you got Glacier, which is like cold and slow moving, but Blizzard is cold and fast moving. Right? It hits you in the face. Right? See, and then then they would have had a different product name. And people wouldn't get confused. Now you're going to have, oh, S3 Glacier, which one? Oh, the instant retrieval one. It's, um, no, they're, they're going to save uh, the Blizzard name for, you know, a um, snow cone on top of a deep razor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, 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 I didn't think snow because we've already got snow, but yeah. Let, let's come back to our uh, recycled bin uh, for Snapshot. I don't know why that product exists. If you do mistakes, it's for stupid people or something who did it, the snapshot they don't want to. And so basically it's the same cost, but now you have a recycle bin. So you have one more chance to make sure that you want to delete your stuff and you can detail, put a, uh, a retention policy, but you pay the same cost as a normal snapshot. So yeah, you have a bin now. Yay. <laughs> uh, more interesting is the archive product. Yeah. Yeah. The EBS snapshots archive, again, just, Let's have as many tiers as we can in our storage systems. <laughs> That's right. It is basically, I, I suspect under the hood, it basically just shoves it onto Glacier instead of regular S3. Which one? Well, it must be the instant retrieval <laughs> because they can charge you. They charge you to retrieve it, right? So now you have, you have a restore price now of three cents per gig. Uh, where in the standard snapshot you don't have any restore price, so um, yeah, and the cost is, but the cost is much cheaper. Um, so instead of five cents per gig in the standard EBS snapshot, you pay just one point two five cents per gig. But you need to store it minimum for ninety days, so um, that's really for your snapshot you want to keep for a while and don't touch. Cool. So th- this is basically where when you need to keep your snapshots for seven years because of regulations after the first 
month, you just shove them all into archive because you're never going to go back to that unless you get I don't know, somebody hijacking your data. Mm-hmm. So the next announcement, <clears throat> I'm, I think it's a really nice one. It's um, CloudFront now can supports configurable cores, security, and custom HTTP response headers. I think everyone's who's used CloudFront and cores before has had the pain of the frustration of having to use Lambda at Edge or CloudFront functions or Origin, um, your Origin Lambdas to generate the cores headers. Now CloudFront will do that for you. So that's a very, very nice developer-friendly thing. So good improvement then. And it's still free <laughs> for the first terabyte. Yeah. Um, we have the one I saw, EC2 Auto Scaling now support predictive scaling with custom metrics. So in the past, uh, predictive scaling was working only on CPU utilization, network IO, or ILB request count. Now you can have your own CloudWatch metrics, like specific to your application, like the number of user sessions or something to do predictive scaling. And uh, AI will scale your uh, uh, fleet of EC2 instances automatically for you responding to that custom CloudWatch metrics. Uh, pretty cool. Well, shall we have a look on the Devon upside? Yeah. Good idea. There's, there were actually a couple of nice ones here. I mean, there's some new products. Uh, so like CloudWatch RUM. So that's a, a real user monitoring, real user monitoring. That's what it stands for, isn't it? Yeah. So that's the, so there's a lot of RUM products out there, but um, Amazon, I guess they went canaries. So why not go RUM as well? So this is a service that will um, give you um, lots of input about what your real user experience is likely to be on your web application. So it's instrumentation for your front end. So you get lots of stats about page load times and time to first paint and all those sorts of things. So that's nice. But the thing that that I only just noticed today was DevOps Guru for RDS. I thought that's a pretty cool looking announcement. Have you guys noticed that one? Uh, It's only for Aurora, I think. That's okay. I don't mind. <laughs> if it's it, it's a start. It's a start. Yeah. Uh, no, it's it's, it's a for for RDS. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was cool. Or I call and Postgres edition uh, in the US and Frankfurt, Ireland, Stockholm, Singapore, and Sydney, Sydney and Tokyo in, in Sydney. Yeah, but it's it's only for Aurora. But now that that's 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 good. Um, and uh, we'll detect a bottleneck and help you understand better what's wrong with your SQL queries probably. Yeah, so it, it looks at performance issues related to your um, yeah to your database. So it'll help you diagnose issues um, and misbehavior of SQL queries. So I can think of... So basically it runs an explain under the hood? <laughs> <laughs> and performance insight, yeah. But, but, but hang on, it runs the explain, but then it uses ML. <laughs> so that's the important and bit. And then going to tell you, you should buy a bigger instance. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's I think that's that's a good thing. It's a good good product. Oh, I saw so many applications failing by poor queries or poor table space or, or index uh, development, and he worked with ten users, and then you put some load and everything fall apart with locks everywhere. So I think you know developers will get great help from that product. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I worked. I worked on a certain campaign that happens once a year a couple of years ago that had a, a database problem uh yes one of those campaigns that only got, runs for six weeks out of every 12 months 
and uh, yeah, when it goes wrong, it goes spectacularly wrong. So this would have been would have been nice to have some this tooling. You're never off IBM, right? So <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't the census, no. <laughs> yeah. There was an announcement of a, a new name for the product is uh, LRC Disaster Recovery. It's uh, rebranding and redesign a bit of the application of Cloud Endure Disaster Recovery. So you install an agent on your box and then replicate your machine to EC2 and then can fail over your on-prem environment in case of disaster. Yeah, cool name, but you know, just move to AWS. Don't stay on-prem. Um, AIC, uh, CDKV2 GA. Go for it. Yeah, yes. Well, I mean, the thing is, I've been using V2 for ages anyway, So, but it was really nice to see it um, finally GA, and uh, it's now the official, because um, I think I was bemoaning recently that I feel like I, I jumped to V2 and, and they keep on releasing updates for V1. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> but now v, v, V2 is now the official, um, is now officially uh, generally available, so that's good. Yeah. Definitely, if you're not using V2 already, I'd suggest you you, you get on it. Um, you've got one package for all the CDK libraries. It's much, much nicer um, to, to, to use from that point of view. I haven't had any sorts of incompatibilities or weird, weird JSII issues bite me since I've been using V2. Um, and... They've also got uh, the, the way they're handling um, experimental classes is different now. So that they, they splitting those out, they'll never be bundled in as part of the the main CDK lib. So so that's some comfort there as well, I think. So it's, you can expect it to be a little bit more stable generally. And the other thing it's got is CDK Watch, which is the hot swap or the hot um yeah hot swap i think is what they're referring to it as where uh if you're making a project and you're just making changes to things like lambda functions or step functions um state machine definitions rather than having to redeploy your whole project you can just do a um it'll do a, a deploy of just the lambda function or the step function state machines so that's kind of a neat feature as well that comes with the latest version so v2 is available on javascript typescript java python.net and go in preview so people are going to be happy with that um another what attract me is the construct hub is g as well have you had, had a look um, there is a lot of, um, so using the CDK for cubes and, and AWS and Terraform, you can now publish and share libraries, uh, by the, by the community, uh, to have example of, of CDK code. So, but it seems that GitHub is in the background, right? When you click on the different repo, you feel like it's a, it's a GitHub <laughs> page. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, look, I think it's it's certainly it's one of those things where uh, having more examples and more more sort of sample code, I think, is going to be very helpful. Plus, um, you know, people can make constructs for useful things. Uh, so I think that's a really good a good thing. There's diff because there's definitely gaps, and you know, you, you occasionally hit hurdles where you know someone solving the problem could probably release a, a construct that that you could then use yep. uh, rather than having to continually uh, solve the same problem so i think that's a good a good thing for the environment yeah that's cool so what what, what do you see i mean terraform has been really 
in the market and AWS now is kind of accepting the product as well with, you know, control towers supporting Terraform and all the type of, of things. How do you see CDK? Is it really going to take over everything? Um, no. Because I think I think no, look, I don't, and I, I think in a way they they're sort of Amazon's sort of pitching it as um, I mean I think they they're, they're trying to sort of work with the other tooling because um, I don't think they're going to kill Terraform. Oh, they don't want to kill it, but I mean you know at the moment it was I don't know I've seen the market probably seventy percent Terraform, thirty percent cloud formation. I in my customer CDK is zero, but the way CDK is still you know getting pushed and, and uh, start to be questioned by, by engineers. Yeah, engineer kind of, yeah, what about CDK? What about CDK? So um, I think that, that that might come, yeah. I see quite a bit of it, to be honest, in some customers. So some customers are all in on CDK and others. Look, if you have five years of Terraform code, you're not going to throw that away. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. No, that's right. Yeah. Cool. Um, what else do we have? couple small uh, improvements to stack sets you can import your CloudFormation stacks into it and you can run multiple operations simultaneously on your stack sets all just nice things that can be useful but not worth a long discussion uh, moving from cdk to sdk uh, we have uh, sdk for swift kotlin and rust all in developer preview it's interesting to see kotlin i thought that language was less and less used but um the rest is makes sense isn't kotlin for like android development it's a java kind of bastardized yeah yeah i thought it is used on android development so my something that i'm hoping will come out of at least in the swift one is who knows maybe we'll get proper frequent updates on the mobile app i might even try it again if it works at some point <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, apparently Kotlin is used by over 60% of professional Android developers. So there you go. It is the dominant language in Android land. That's my ignorance. I'm using Apple. Sorry. You just don't know enough Android developers, obviously. (laughs) What else do we have? Some Proton stuff. You can now use Terraform with Proton. Yeah. It's another one of those things. Crossover. Yep. Yep. But yeah, I still don't know what to use Proton for. So (laughs) moving on. Ah, yeah. This is uh, one that I quite enjoyed. I don't like Image Builder because I still think it doesn't work well. But now you can share AMIs with organizations and OUs. I think this is basically just now that I talk about it, last month's announcement that you can share AMIs that way. But now you can do it from Image Builder. So it's, I don't care as much about it as I thought because we've already discussed the real announcement yeah but i mean it's quite useful you know if you add an account uh, to your ou then automatically that ami will be there to be able to consume if you're an soe in your environment so that's a cool feature we had to copy and copy and copy if you remember a couple of years ago and changing kms keys and all the rest was a nightmare right can't really skip over evidently i don't think even it's a whole product release yeah so th- so this this is about uh, deploying new versions safely into your environment. So it gives you some guess. It's it's related to RUM in the sense that it's looking at the uh, user experience for your new release and it, it lets you manage uh, like a controlled release of your new version and rollback or, you know, um, not rollback, but to, to you know, re- redirect your users to the last good version if you find that your new 
your new code is causing a lot of errors or unhappiness. It's like a Canary monitor, is it? It's it's so uh, it's evidently as part of CloudWatch's digital experience monitoring ca- capabilities, along with Synthetics and RUM. So uh, yeah, so it's it's all part of that same set, um, and it is available in Sydney. So. So if you're looking for something to help you do some A-B testing or some Canary uh, release type stuff or blue-green release, you might find that evidently uh, fills a need and uh, worth having a, having a look at. Just ignore the name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a bit of an odd one. Uh, and there's a blog post about it. About the name. <laughs> no, no, no. About <laughs> showing how it operates and how you can move from one environment to the other. So there is, yep, yep. So check it out if you're interested. Security then. Yep. Uh, the one I like was the CloudTrail uh, announcement about CloudTrail can do error right inside now. Uh, so monitoring the number of error in your API and uh, kind of denied API access. So if you deny someone access to RDS or all the things, then um, that product will uh, give you some insight about uh, some some alarm. Uh, and how your API works usually and what CloudTrail get usually and then what's out of the norm and, and alert you in case you get attacked or... So these people start generating multi-policy to instances in your VPC uh, or try to, yeah. So that's interesting. So on CloudTrail, bit improvement on that. Yeah, that's look good. As, as, as either of you looked at the new version of Amazon Inspector? Yeah, it's, uh, it's called... Uh, Inspector V2 now and is kind of different. Um, first, you don't need an agent, which is awesome. You you use your SSM agent from the normal EC2 uh, to be able to do that. And then it's installed across your organization, across uh, all your accounts as well, and can do scanning and can scan your ECR as well, uh, registry. And that's done automatically and give you some type of alert. But... Let's say if you have a CVE on, on one of the instances and that instance is public, it might rate that problem to 10, where if that instance is just private, it will rate that problem to just to 8. So it helps you as well to scale and to understand the, the, uh, the risk of your, um, your CVE factor. Um, well, could have been maybe useful with the log4j problem we had just had recently um quite more expensive uh but can you can migrate from one to the other and uh v1 will still be there but i think AWS would like you to move to v2 I, I like the fact that you don't have to install another agent on the box yeah i mean it would install it for you but it is a lot easier if you don't have to deal with it at all. Yeah, yeah. You just use the SSM. I mean, everybody uses SSM today, right? Um, and, and with SSM, you have logs now, and, and then you have inspectors. So one agent to do to do it all. I think the other nice announcement in the security space is the um, DDoS mitigation with AWS Shield. It can it's um, set up now to. It'll, this is a neat a neat idea. So it, it will look for anomalous traffic and it can add WAF rules to counter those uh, those events that it's seeing dynamically. So is Shield Advanced, right? So that's a pay product. Um, uh, in the past, uh, that was the uh, AWS Shield response team who were doing that things for you. So they were looking at the traffic, creating the rule, applying the rule, and then calling you and say, hey, you're under DDoS. Uh, so now they remove that human factor and they have an automated way of analyzing your traffic and when something is suspicious then creating a WAF rule for you automatically and, and start blocking the traffic yep 
and then taking it out again later on too. So it's automating that whole process of of detecting an attack, doing something about it, uh, and then um, removing the mitigation once the attack's over. So that is neat. I mean, it's a shame it's part of... It's only part of advanced because that's obviously expensive. But I think you probably be optimistic. I'd be optimistic enough to think that once they get that sort of bedded down sufficiently, that maybe there'll be some. Uh, oh, they can be leaked over to to the free version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, maybe not a free version, but maybe they put in a, a you know in the same way that we have now um, um, Glacier <laughs> Immediate Retrieval, they'll probably have a WAF, uh, some, somewhat advanced uh, product, and, and, uh, and it'll, get, it'll get that. You, you could do it yourself. I mean, I, I've seen some design where you analyze a log, you create some type of filtering, you have a Lambda function that kicks in and create the ACL rule to block that IP slash 32, whatever. Uh, but this one is more the layer seven level, so it's, it's really focusing on stopping the very dedicated type of attack on queries or other things who can uh, hurt your uh, workload. Yeah, and I mean, it, it, given that it's layer seven, I mean, it could just be a WAF, a WAF extension, couldn't it really? And um, I guess um, the thing is, JM, I'm I'm incredibly lazy, so so the idea of having to build all that stuff for something that um, AWS already knows how to do. Well, why, why, why don't they just, you know, give me the thing that I want, but not make it too expensive? That's, you know, there's a bit of feedback for them. So, Well, uh, talking about that, the, there was an announcement about the WAF. WAF supporting Capture. Uh, capture, yeah, that's pretty cool. You had to do it with external product like Google before. Now you can do it straight from the WAF and uh, make sure that you are human. Have you have you actually looked at, like, what's what's the user experience of that actually look like? No, I, I didn't test it yet, uh, but um, it's always annoying. It's always annoying, you know, cl- clicking on bicycle or on plane or on boats. It's always annoying, but I think it's a, it's a needed features now. And so now you can do it from AWS. I'm just interested to know what it actually looks like. So, uh, but, um, but there's no example here. So, yeah. so one thing that I think is really neat that they announced in secure in the security thing is with AWS SSL that you can now use that for a one-click login to your Windows instances. So basically that means you don't need local users anymore, but it's that it uses the users from your AWS SSL setup, mm, Okay, which is really nice. But how does that work? Because your Windows is going to be joined to the domain, right? And if SSL use Okta, that's, I mean, that's your domain as well. So that's, you need to still have security groups and stuff like that in your domain to be able to jo- to log into that machine even if SSO gives you access to it. I don't know. I need to be tested. So it, the way I see it is you can uh, connect your instances with the users from AWS SSO or any of the supported identity providers. Yeah, you have Okta, Ping, and one login, yeah. And then you probably... I haven't tried it out, uh, but I suspect you can use a similar way that you add applications or AWS access and all those things in your SSL or manual click work because they still don't know how to build an API. <laughs> Sorry, they, they've got they've got APIs, just not for anything user related, which is kind of the important bit. It's the scary bit, probably. No, that's that's good to see. I mean, less and less uh, multiple login, more centralized using a sensor for that. 
It is similar to using SSM session manager, but then for the graphical interface. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Control Tower uh, in the security space, uh, there was an announcement who were uh, really painful in the past. Uh, you couldn't use nested org unit into Control Tower. You had to define SCP per account. Or um, so now you can have uh, a, a standard organization OU design and having nested OUs with you know scalable SCPs and and SCPs here with each other and stuff like that. Where in the past it wasn't possible, so that good improvement for Control Tower. Uh, you still need to upgrade your Control Tower version though, and then with that come couple of new improvements for Control Tower as well with uh, data residency requirements. So you can control which region you can activate or not, and then deny some services as well from Control Tower to block people using certain service, where in the past that was not possible. You had to do it yourself. And then the last one is the Terraform account provisioning for Control Tower. So in the past, there was, um, it was called AWS personalization, I believe, uh, for Control Tower with cloud formation and a series of code build and, and code deploy uh, no sorry code build and code pipeline to deploy uh, cloud formation templates now you can link that with terraform and use your terraform module into a repo and when you create a new account terraform will be deployed so it could be weird you're going to have control tower is clickups uh, automation for control tower is still going to deploy a lot of cloud formation template and then you have terraform on top we're going to do all the things uh, for personalizing your environment so i don't know not especially like it you need to pick one I think you need to pick one. You do all Terraform, all Corporal Tower cloud formation. Having both is, seems weird to me, but that's okay. Data storage and processing, which is about a quarter of all the announcements. So I propose we go through this one really quickly. Yeah. So RDS custom for SQL Server. This, this is uh, one of those ones where I think there's probably some un, untapped demand. So it's RDS, but it gives you some control over the underlying infrastructure. So you can actually tinker with the um, underlying OS and DB environment. It supports uh, SQL Server and I think Oracle as well. Or am I? Yeah, Oracle. No, Oracle was announced in October. So um, you could do Oracle um, custom at the time and and, uh, reinvent the announced RDS custom for SQL Server. Same problem though. You can you know, access the OS, you can do RDP to the box, which is, was, you know, unthinkable a couple of years ago uh, to be able to do that. However, you still need to build yourself your uh, availability groups, high availability, install SQL and all that. There's a lot of things you need to do now, but you can, you know, install all the versions, keep updates, install some stuff, SSIS and all of that that you couldn't do on RDS before. So But isn't isn't this product exactly for those people who want to tinker with these things or, or who have to for whatever reason? Yeah. Yeah, but why why doing RDS? I mean that's yeah, okay. Well you do it on EC2 already. It's, it's kind of halfway. It's kind of halfway. That's why it's called RDS custom. Like Glacier immediate access. <laughs> <laughs> I won't let it go. I won't let it go. <laughs> you still end up doing less work than you would if you run it on EC2. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's the thing is that you're still picking up some of the management. Yeah. So especially like the backups and things like that, you don't have to. Oh, I definitely can see a lot of customers going to jump on that opportunities where they were stuck before and had to use EC2. Um, Now they can use that product. So yeah. Yep. So it's all good. But get off SQL Server anyway. Yeah. Go to Bubblefish. 
That's what Babel Fish <laughs> is for. Yeah. yeah. Postgres for the win. Yep. Good. Okay. Speaking of Postgres and MySQL, the other big one here, I would say, is a new multi-AZ deployment option. So up until this announcement, uh, if you did multi-AZ for your database, that basically meant you paid for two instances. Only one of them was actually being used and the other was just standing there in case you needed to run an update or the, you needed to fail over. With this new way, you actually get a couple of read-only databases in the other ACs um, that are then kept in sync. And when the failover needs to happen, it just switches those one of those over to the master yeah so this is gonna this is gonna confound all the people who have been studying for their um sa pro <laughs> certifications because one of the questions they love to ask is oh they've got an az configuration oh read replicas no 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 multi-az there is no there's no, there's no redundancy it's just a, well this a, you, you only have the one master the other one's just a standby so now it's not going to be it's going to be more complicated yeah but that was the main advantage of Aurora, right? Aurora, you had your master and you have a read replica and that was giving you at the same time high availability. Now you can do the same thing with RDS itself and Postgres and MySQL. So interesting. It's good good improvement though. Less less wastage. Absolutely. Is it is it more expensive? I'm guessing it probably is more expensive than just a plain multi-AZ deployment. It's just in preview at the moment, so we don't know the price and it's only in Virginia or Island. I suspect it is more expensive though because instead of having one extra instance you suddenly get two extra instances. And plus also obviously you can you can read from them they're not just sitting there uh, they're actually going to be used so yeah you'd expect that to cost something. And there were limitations as well actually in that regard with the instance types that you can use it with. So, I mean in the past failover from one to the other took between 30 to 60 seconds one or even more maybe with that model the failover will be faster as well so that that would be that would be good to see yeah i think there was something in there about how fast the sync so it's essentially a synchronous when i say asynchronous i mean a synchronous not asynchronous replication yeah but it always has been but uh, across multi-az but the, the failover will, will probably be faster because the essence is up instead of being switch off i would say yep Yep, let's move on. Uh, Neptune and MemoryDB have Graviton 2 options. Yep. Or MemoryDB actually is just a T4G option. With a two-month free trial, but um, yeah, it's just uh, cheaper with the same thing. Yep. And in a, surprising to me, DMS had a lot of updates. Yeah. Yeah. Database migration servers. So a couple interesting ones is that they now have literally added new sources for Azure SQL managed instance. Uh, Google Cloud, like short fire, that's for sure. Like we want your business uh, <laughs> um, to move from Azure SQL, yes, to RDS or all the places inside AWS. Yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting that they added those. Um, they also continued with their way of uh, calling things studio. Mm -hmm. Yeah, with a DMS, a new DMS experience and DMS console. Yeah. And the fleet manager, the fleet advisor. So that's a, that's a discovery and an analysis tool to look at your database workloads and analytics workloads and give you advice as to what to, uh, what to migrate them to. Yeah. In the past, you had to ask ProServe, I think, to help you to download that product. Now they give it um, as part of DMS, which is interesting. Yeah. So to analyze your workload 
uh, and your database themselves. So that's going to be helpful for some customers. Yep. And of course, uh, it introduces time travel. And everyone said that was impossible. Yes. But there you go. <laughs> They've got a product. <laughs> We're back to the future. Yeah. <laughs> this, uh, it's, um, yeah. The, the naming of things is so um, inconsistent, isn't it? Yeah, because did this need a did this need a name? It's an improved logging mechanism. Yeah, and so obviously time travel. Yeah, because they store the logs on this tree, so you can come back to uh, the migration before a certain time. So um, yeah, that might be useful when you do ETL processes and stuff like that. If they fail and then try to come back and resubmit, um, I don't know if that's going to be that useful for a pure migration um, to be tested. Yep. Yep. Other announcement in the storage space, DynamoDB, uh, now with a new standard infrequent access table class, uh, which give you a 60% redu- reduction in storage uh, with the same table performance. So interesting. Well, they put that on to Glacier and start retrieval. <laughs> Continuing the theme of, of there being more than, always has to be more than one class of, of storage. For every product. Give you a choice. It's about choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, how many instance types did they mention again that they had now? 400 something? I don't know. Yes. Yeah, that really helps narrow it down for people. But maybe some saving on Dynamo DB for people who, you know, want to archive tables and stuff like that. So that could be interesting to um, to use for certain tables probably, yeah. I think that'll be very useful for people who've, who've got a lot of data stored away in DynamoDB tables that they kind of need to hang on to for, for years and yeah. Well, usually you do data stream, you stick it to S3 and then you retrieve it this way, but yeah, yeah. That, that, that might be the right way to do it, Dan, but it isn't, that doesn't mean that that's what someone's done. <laughs> so storage class uh, will, will, will save people some money, I'm sure. S3? You want to talk about the Glacier instant retrieval? Give you 68% storage cost saving. That's good. It's a shame about the name. <laughs> Let's just call it Blizzard from now on. I'm just going to make a unilateral decision. The new Amazon S3 Blizzard. Uh, saves you how much, JM? Uh, it's 68% to compare uh, infrequent access storage class and uh, 10% cheaper as well for the uh, retrieval cost if you do bulk retrievals. Right. Yeah. And then there's also now the flexible retrieval that is the old Glacier style. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's just that's just Glacier as it always was. But it's they still reduce the price by 10%. And bulk retrievals are through. Yep, yep. So that's good. Yep. Uh, a great improvement on security on this three, though, uh, and, and it was quite hidden. Uh, object ownership can now be disabled on on the S3. That's so good because yeah, this is this is one of one of I think uh, lots of people's probably favorite announcement of of the whole two months. It's just this one little thing. I did I, I, I did I did it the other day. <laughs> I enabled this. I was like, ah, that was so easy and great. You remember they was showing you that your S3 might be public because they couldn't certified in case you're putting an ACL uh, being public, right? But now with that option, you can enforce that every object are owned by the owner of the bucket. So you don't have to put that on your S3 uh, command as well to upload. And uh, that make sure that your S3 bucket is protected through your IML identity bucket policies and stuff like that. And ACL can't mess up all of that by just... Um, opening a hole basically on US3 security. So yeah, very great improvement. Tiny announcement, but great improvement, I think, on security for S3. Yeah. Yeah, definitely 
it would be nice if they just got rid of them completely, but I'm guessing they can't because there's a lot of people using it. But yeah, basically, um, the ACLs predate IAM usage because it was the original way that you used S3 and IAM did not exist yet, but now it does. So, so please on S3, yeah, block security, enforce that ownership now, use KMS, not SS. No, not storage, um, uh, sorry, server-side encryption only. Just use your own KMS with your own policy, encrypt your data, and use uh, bucket policies. That's the only way to protect your stuff. Also, more on the pricing side, if you're using the intelligent tiering for S3 that now has the archive instant access tier, I don't know why that needed to have yet another name because I suspect that it's just Glacier Instant Retrieval <laughs> under the hood. <laughs> <laughs> but oh sorry um uh, s3 intelligent tiering now has the um blizzard tier <laughs> thank you <laughs> thank you and some other s3 yeah the event bridge thing that that was um the integration that's good i think yeah yeah i mean you could do that before but that was not event bridge so you couldn't find out and you can do this manipulation yeah yeah that's right so it was an event bridge that's right yeah yeah cloudwatch events yeah yeah so now you're in event bridge so you can do all sort of manipulation on your events and and uh, filtering and stuff like that. yeah and lots of integrations with other services and blah 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 blah. yeah, yeah. so that good good improvement as well for that yeah fsx we've got a new fsx which is open zfs yay I don't know who used that, but yeah. FreeBSD fans? It's a, that's come from the FreeBSD project, isn't it? Open ZFS? It is from one of the BSDs, yeah. I don't remember if it's free or open. Yeah. And FSX for Luster V2, basically. Well, you can link with uh, Amazon S3 and manage data this way to be able to scale faster, yeah. Yeah, basically it is running on Graviton instead of... Intel, so it's better for the environment and it's better for Amazon's pockets. Uh, I mean, it's better for performance. Mm, it's better for the environment. Yep, good. Uh, backup preview for backup on S3. What is that? <laughs> so suddenly you can, so it's in preview, uh, but from AWS backup now you can do backup your S3 bucket. Yeah, so it's snapshots basically. That's the point in time restore, I guess. Um, I mean, you obviously got versions, but this is like a snapshot of a whole bucket, I guess. Yeah, it's great. Um, but where do they store it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take a wild guess. But you can store it to another account, right? AWS Backup, you have the vault, and you can move that to a different account. So that gives you that type of isolation and security. And that's all your backup in one place. I had a customer who asked me, how do I backup S3? In the past, I was looking at them, it's like, what? Uh, it's just two versioning and you're fine but yeah no that makes sense that's probably a demand from the, some customers in the audit space and uh, we see the cost when it comes in but there's definitely useful cost versioning and all that stuff can be probably a lot more expensive than what you need yeah and similarly it now supports neptune and document db with mongodb compatibility so really that's a, that's a Backup all, uh, even VMware workload. Look at that. Yeah, that's right. If you have to, <laughs> if you have to, <laughs> which you do. Yeah. Uh, to keep up the theme, um, data tiering for Elastic Edge for Redis. So they have introduced, I think, a second tier where you can store your data. Uh, basically, it's a mixture then of SSDs in the clusters and 
the regular um, storage. On, it only works with the R6GD nodes. Okay. Right. So it basically shuffles it out of memory and puts it onto NVMe SSDs. And the cost, the, 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 the performance difference is 300 microsecond latency, apparently. So it's not a lot. But um, So you move from memory to SSDs for uh, on-memory cache database caching system, which is supposed to be memory. Okay, yeah, whatever. <laughs> you got to have an extra tier. They needed to. They needed to find a way. And next one is S3, and then uh, Blizzard after that. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Exactly. There was a lot of SageMaker announcements, uh, and if you're into SageMaker, maybe check them out. <laughs> yep. But um, Amazon SageMaker Studio Lab allows you to basically play around in a environment where you don't have to set up anything. You can experiment. It's free. It's outside of the regular AWS environment. And yeah, okay, pretty cool. Let's move to other cool stuff. Um, Enterprise OnRamp is a new uh, support tier from AWS and is uh, $5,500 a month per account and uh, or 10% of your monthly usage and it will provide you expert to help you to launch your AWS instances. So yeah, that's a different um, tier. Usually business is, you know, 7% of your bill and, and then enterprise is quite expensive. So this one is kind of halfway. Yep. Um, one of the announcements which I can't quite see here is the, uh, did you notice the local zones? Announcement of new, lots of 30 new local zones in major cities around the world. And there's one coming in Australia. And I f- figured that's got to be Perth, right? Or Canberra. Canberra's so close to Sydney. Why would you put one in Canberra? Government. <laughs> I would have thought that they'd, they'd put it in Perth because there's a latency, latency across the Nullarbor. All the mining and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Because there's lots of money to be made, I would have thought, from customers in, in the West. No, you're right. Because, I mean, AWS Sydney is ARAP compliant now, so you should be able to host uh, most of the government stuff in Australia. Uh, Perth is uh, probably a good point and they have already direct connect over there so um that's uh that makes sense too and we're going to get our own three az in melbourne in, in september Yoo-hoo! i know i know next year next year it's not even a year to wait now that's right so exciting talking about local zone and other local stuff now there's two new outposts and um they're going to be interesting to see uh, they are available in sydney as well you can buy them so there's a one new version and then uh, a two u version the one you come in um graviton 2 with 60, 64 vcpu 128 gig memory and 3.8 terabyte of uh, flash storage and vme and then the um two u version come in uh intel edition with 64 cpu 128 gig memory and another version of with 128 vcpu and 256 gig memory and and more storage like uh, almost eight terabyte of flash cost wise um the graviton one is 21k up front and the big one on intel is 40k up front so you can buy them and uh, yeah you can have that connected to your az's and and uh, run um aws on your own on-prem ec2 ecs couple of products not s3 yet i believe 
on this new version. But um, however, if if you run Windows EC2 instances AMI, you will need to pay as well 73 cents per hour of Windows licensing. So be careful. Uh, if you run Amazon Linux, you have nothing to pay. Just your hardware. If you run Windows, you will need to pay as well uh, AWS for the licensing for Microsoft that will send probably the money back to Microsoft anyway. That's already the case with the regular, uh, with the other outposts as well, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah correct. Yes. Um, but yeah, AWS is in the uh, storage market and compute market now. Oh, and don't forget the telecom market. Oh, yeah. Talking about that, you can create your own private 5G. It's only for the US at the moment, um, but yeah, you can you can create your own private 5G uh, hardware. The main use case for this, I think, is um, sort of industrial sites where they've you're doing IoT and you need you need to um, create a net a private 5G network to collect your data and share your data. I guess it's one of the one of the main use cases for this. So there's no upfront fees. Per device, it's just a per device cost uh, according to the private 5G network and is scaled automatically apparently and they produce your own SIM cards. And so, yeah, they go to the networking market now. Yep. And uh, speaking of modern things, uh, mainframe modernization. <laughs> it is in preview. It's in preview. You can't modernize your mainframe. <laughs> Yeah, I believe it's basically a program to help you shift things to mainframe to something slightly more. So you have two modes. You have the replatforming mode and the automated refactoring mode. I think it's more to do a deep analysis of your mainframe and understand the effort uh, to be able to migrate it and understand what you know type of migration you need to plan for the next I don't know, two or three years of your life to do that. Um, but it's something coming. We see mainframe. They're becoming older and older. There's less and less talent to be able to maintain a mainframe. And uh, the migration to uh, a serverless batch type model on cloud makes sense. And this is using a third-party product, essentially, as I understand it. They purchased a company for that, yeah. They purchased someone, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, another interesting one is uh, AWS Tech Overflow, AWS Repost. Yes, have you joined? I joined. You get floated with spam <laughs> uh, if you select a couple of um, uh, of section. Um, you get uh, email. Hey, dear, dear JM, would you like to help this customer? And blah blah blah. So it's it's uh, it's interesting. There is a lot of questions, but uh, yeah, I, I had to create a rule in my email system to put them somewhere. Yeah, I wonder if they imported the questions just from Stack Overflow or from the old forums. This <laughs> <laughs> seems to be old stuff yeah it seems to be old stuff as well um but i'm sure we can learn something yeah and that's going to be linked with your aws support apparently and that's linked with your aws account but you can join with that in the aws account as well so um but no i, I think it's it's good you will be able to search it's really like a big repo of questions now and uh, that could be helpful to answer faqs um you have seen before yeah um, I wonder how long it is until it will be integrated into the console. <laughs> like the blogs. Yeah, like the blogs and all the other things. Well, I don't know. I'm not sure. I think their search their search facility is a little bit overly generous at the moment because I put in quite a specific search and I'm seeing all the same questions on the front page as I saw before I entered a search criteria. So I don't know. Uh, I don't know if that's just me. 
but uh, I don't think so. No, I think there's 90 questions in the system at the moment, and that's because there's only one page of questions. So, yeah. No, I see uh, I see 3,000. Oh, is this more? Oh, it's just, it's just, oh, it's the UI. It's just the, it's just that UI thing. Yeah, after you've pressed enter on the search, like I, I queried, how do I stop an EC2 instance? And I get 3,000 different questions that don't quite match. Yeah, well, that's the thing. That's, it looked a bit like the search was a bit vague, not very specific at all. But anyway, I won't judge it now. Moving on, a couple things for the well-architected framework. So we've already hinted at the sustainability pillar, which is nice. And basically, if you're familiar with the well-architected framework, you know it's a series of questions aimed at determining your status. And the sustainability pillar is unsurprisingly around making sure that you use the least amount of power and things like that. I haven't actually looked at it in detail yet, but I suspect it will have questions like, do you use Graviton for everything? Yes, you should use Graviton. You should use RDS Graviton. You should use EC2 Graviton. You should use ECS Graviton. So yeah, um, uh, I, did, I, I did analysis for a customer uh, in TCO because there is some, some uh, data on that and some public data about the way we consume energy as well in Victoria, um, where we are. And the, the saving for the customer was around 79% of CO2 emission uh, to compare on-prem moving to AWS. So it's obviously average and industry average and all of that, but um, very interesting. And for that customer, it was around 60 cars off the road per year migrating to cloud. So I think AWS here found a new angle like, yeah, you can be elasticity, you can have reliability in cloud, you can have all the new things, but now you can even help you on your CO2 emission. If you migrate, you will save 79%. Yeah, so instead of the TCO calculator, it'll now be the, the CO2 calculator. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, that's also coming. Yep, yep. There was no official announcement post for it, so it's not in the list, but... In one of the keynotes, it was mentioned that there's going to be a, a carbon footprint calculator. Yeah, I think that's I think that's really good. It's um, it's it's I think it's good that it's part of the well architected framework too. And and hopefully it's not just as you say, JM. It isn't just are you using graviton? Are you using graviton? Are you using graviton? Hope hopefully it'll be it'll be um, uh, in much the same way as the well architected framework does focus people's mind on a lot of behavioral um aspects of how they do things um hopefully it'll it'll cover a bunch of that sort of stuff uh in the sustainability pillar sustain, sustainability pillar as well yeah it will go deeper um it will be like are you using graviton in one of our carbon neutral regions well which is australia right i think uh 2025 uh, australia should be Fully. Yeah, I think they want all of them, I think, around that time to be covered. I think at the moment it is, was it Ohio and the Canada ones that are carbon neutral? Yeah, and, and Amazon is building uh, the biggest, I think, solar farm here in Australia to to promote carbon-free emission uh, electricity generation for the, the data center. So pretty cool. But then Jeff goes and builds a big rocket. <laughs> Blast! Blasts all that all that pollution into the atmosphere, uh, and send rubbish uh, down down back to Earth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. space <laughs> junk. Yeah, Jeff, 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 Jeff. Okay, let's give Guy a moment. IoT. I haven't looked at the IoT announcements. 
So, so don't give don't, don't give me a moment. But it has wonderful names like Twin Maker. Oh yeah, no, I, I saw. I, I, I look, I saw. I saw the announcements, and I, did, I did, there was nothing there that kind of tickled my fancy particularly. Yeah, the Twin Maker thing was probably the closest to it, but most of the things there are there's sort of fleet management, there's site wise enhancements, there's I know which one you want, yeah. The site wise hot and cold storage tiers. <laughs> <laughs> but they call them hot and cold. What's wrong with infrequently accessed? Come on. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, given that it's site-wise, they really should have some kind of in- more industrial flavour, shouldn't they? I don't know what that is. I'll, I'll, I'll work on it and get, get, get back to them with a superior name idea. <laughs> um, yeah, so, yes, lots of IoT announcements, but, yeah, a lot of them to do with really just managing uh, existing fleets, not really any- making anything new. Twin Maker's probably the closest to doing something new. What about um, Robot Maker? Robot Runner, sorry. Um, Connect robots to each other and the rest of your industrial software systems uh, to to make them operate in concert together. I think think that sounds vaguely creepy. (laughs) Connecting robots to one another. I'm sure if they if they if they if they want to if they want to connect themselves to one another, just let them choose their own partners and don't don't try and have forced marriages of robots. Come on, I'm sure there's something about about. I'm sure Asimov had something to say about that. Um, so yeah, but yes, yes, I'm sure that's quite an interesting product. And I, I'm sorry to be um, disappointing you by not knowing all about it and um, having something intelligent to say. Almost. Every one of these announcements is preview only. We'll just save our disappointment for when you don't know what they are once they go GA. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yes, okay, good. Yes, look, I think f- fair enough. And uh, when they do go GA, I will make sure that I've got something quasi-intelligent to say about it, at least. I think that's it for the news. For 2021 and the news and reInvent and... There'll be announcements throughout de- de- what's left of December, I'm sure, but we'll catch up with them in in the new year. Yep. This literally just went until the end of reInvent and everything after that is for January because, as usual, January is going to be a bit light on news. Um, something to do with this weird thing called Christmas breaks that people go on. Yeah, yeah. Just out of curiosity, what was your favorite announcement? I don't know. Um, oh, we didn't mention that Timestream's gone GA at, at, at last, I think, isn't it? Oh, uh, there was a Timestream announcement somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I don't think it's here. Um, oh, I think my favourite announcement is actually the, remo- the ability to disable ACLs on buckets. <laughs> yes, probably. Uh, and and the, free tier, the free tier for CloudFront and... and um, uh, egress data for 100 gig, I guess. Which is which is kind of a bit sad in a way, because you know that's a month and reinvent and the best, the, the most exciting, the, the most exciting. We are blasé. We are blasé by the new stuff. <laughs> well, I think I think the thing is that a lot of what's been announced is feels like um, uh, 
improvements to management tools. It's refinement. It's improvements to management. It's it's kind of management and and you know doing backups better. Doing you know use of like doing like RUM and things like that. You know, it's it's doing stuff better. It's not really something brand new that you couldn't do before. Mm. I think that's kind of how it feels to me. Like all of reinvent felt a little bit like that to me. Yeah, more instances, more more way of doing things, more storage, more cold tiers. Yeah, 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 yeah. More, more, more things called serverless. Um, yeah, yeah. What about you, Arjun? I actually, while I am really happy with the S3 stuff, or the ACLs, and also the CloudFront, uh, the the pricing thing, I actually think I will and had this discussion before I'll vote for the Graviton 3 mostly mostly because of the sustainability angle there yeah yeah cool and I just remembered also CDKV2 went GA so that's that's probably one of the other the other ones um and yeah the CloudFront uh be able to write headers I think those 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 three announcements were probably the most impactful for me personally but yeah the Graviton 3 Definitely good. It's just it's only present in one one instance type at the moment, but I'm sure it'll come soon to a bunch of different things. Yeah, I suspect that we'll see it roll out quicker to other services than Graviton Two did. Yeah, less testing. Yeah, because it's now they've already ported everything to ARM, so it's just let's switch out our RDS instances to run on Graviton Three instead of yep. Two. Yep. Thank you all for listening to what has turned out to be a pretty long episode. I hope you all learned something new, or at least enjoyed us talking about the things. As always, I want to thank the user group sponsors for their support. That's our gold sponsor, CMD, and our silver sponsors, CFO and Fursent. And of course, also, I want to thank my beloved co-hosts, Guy Morton, Thanks, Ian, and I beloved you as well. <laughs> and Jean-Manuel Becker. Thank you, Arjen. Thank you, Guy. Always a lot of fun to do this. Yes, yes. And thank you, listeners, to uh, go through our rants and, and uh, insight on what we think about AWS products. We, th- we, we love both of you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and of course, um, keep in mind that the podcast will soon be available in infrequent access <laughs> Blizzard mode, Blizzard yeah. mode. <laughs> also just remember the website for the user group is melp.awsug.org.au or awsmelp on twitter join our slack where you can and join more of these weird discussions with a lot more of our community thank you all for listening and we'll be back next year Merry Christmas all. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, everyone. Bye-bye.